Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in the study we're doing of the New Testament. Um, we have been working through the New Testament together a chapter at a time. We're well into it now. We're, we're like two and a half years into what should take about five years. And uh, as I've said to you over and over again, we're going to hop into the Old Testament after that, which merely takes 15 years of once a week meetings. And then... Um, and then we'll start all over again. All right? So, uh, so I have my Wednesday nights mapped out for the next um, 35 years. <laughs> Which puts me at 85, and then someone else will be able to step up and do it. <laughs> You'll be 55 then. Yeah. So, uh, God willing, who knows? Jesus could come back tonight, and then we don't have to worry about it. All right? But uh, we're working through it, and we, we did Matthew, we did Mark, we did the book of John, we did Luke, all that stuff's on the website, you can get it. Then we did Acts, we did Luke and Acts together, because written by Luke, and it makes sense to tie those things together. While we were studying the book of Acts, we talked a lot about the missionary journeys, because that's really what they're about, Paul's missionary journeys at the, at the end. And out of springing out of there, we've been looking at the letters that Paul wrote, so we're not necessarily going through the New Testament in, in the way that it's in your Bibles. We're picking out the letters now that Paul wrote, um, because hopefully some of the missionary stuff is still in your mind, and that you understand these letters were being written back to the churches that Paul started on his missionary journeys. And that many of these things, as we know, he would be in a town for a short period of time and get a church started, and then oftentimes he got ran out of town. Because the, the established religious community didn't like him there. And so he only had so much time to get things going. And there'd be a lot of questions. As you can imagine, it's a brand new thing. The church is new. Uh, you know, the, the, the Christianity is a new thing. There's a lot of questions that come with what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it and what it looks like. And so um, in, in uh, the letters that Paul was writing back to the churches, he was addressing them. And we're, we're into the letter now he wrote back to the Corinthian church. The first of two um, Letters that, that made the canon uh, of Scripture. And in, in this letter, he's addressing issues that were brought to him by um, a couple of groups of people that had come and said, hey, we got some problems in Corinth we need you to address. And we've been looking at them. He had divisions in the church he was dealing with, and, and uh, he, he was uh, dealing with, you know, uh, in the last couple of things, food sacrificed to idols, and what that looks like, and, and can we eat it, or can't we eat it, and should we eat it, and shouldn't we eat it, and, and who they're following, and this guy followed this guy, and this guy followed this guy, and Paul's trying to straighten it all out. Okay. One of the other problems faced by the early church was understanding the new role of women in the church. And in Christ, um, each person, man and woman, possessing spiritual gifts, um, can now view themselves as an individual of great personal worth and value. And, and this was a new thing into the culture of the time. Um, women were finally being recognized through the church as equal. This is not something they'd experienced um, previously. Now, um, as they are experiencing this, this is a pretty radical change. And so there's a lot of stuff that come up, is coming up because of the issues in the process. And, and so, um, in order to deal with this whole, remember there's a whole new thing now, um, women now are standing alongside men together equal instead of sort of crouching in fear behind them, which had been happening for a long time and continues to happen 
in, in certain uh, parts of the world, cultures, and societies. We saw already, as we dealt with this initially in 1 Corinthians 7, the issue of divorce came up. And what was happening in their newfound freedom, women were like, well, we don't want to be subject to this, this sort of mess that we've been under. And, and they wanted to be emancipated. Um, so they were questioning their traditional roles as wives. And Paul moved into all that. And he said, no, you, you know, that's really not the case of how it's supposed to be. And, and you're to remain married, you know, and, and to do the best you can in that process. And there was a lot of other issues. But he he's... Invariably talking about, 1 Corinthians 7 and now in 11, um, uh, the concept of men and women um, being, f- and the idea of full personhood, that there's no one gender that's better than the other. Okay? And, and that's what's happening here scripturally. And so, we have to understand that um, the Bible throughout time has really had very consistent views on the full personhood of women, even though some people would say that, that that's not the case. But let's, let's look at it. First off, in Genesis 1, um, the, the full personhood of Eve was certainly uh, made note of. Uh, her full participation in God's image, uh, as that image is stamped on humankind. And Eve also fully shared in the dominion which God intended mankind to exercise over creation. Um, Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created a male and female. He created them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and subdue. And so, certainly there in the creation account, absolute equality, men and women in the process. Now, sin enters into the world. And unfortunately, the entrance of sin into the world changes the dynamic of the perfect and of how things are supposed to be. And suddenly, in a consequence of sin... Men and women are given new roles to fulfill. And again, it's not one gender better than the other. Genders having different roles in the process. And this new set of roles um, was not meant to demean women or to make her less important um, than her husband as a person. And yet, unfortunately, sin has a way of warping things. And over, uh, over time, the idea of submission became a denial of worth, and authority became the right to use and discard. That's not how God intended it. That's what sin did to the roles he put in place in the fallen and broken world. And so, throughout most of Old Testament time, and in in many cultures still, um, women were considered chattels, property, that that men could do with pretty much whatever they want. Um, And... and, uh, and people looking at the Old Testament, believe it or not, the Old Testament was way better at protecting women than any other part of its culture. But it was far from perfect in its establishment. You, you have to know that um, the Old Testament laws do not reflect the full restoration of women into personhood. Because many of the Old Testament laws, you may not always catch this, do not reflect God's ideal. They're in place because they're what men can handle in his fallen condition. But they're not the ideal. They're just what... They were in place that we could deal with. Um, the, a lot of things in the Old Testament uh, are law as accommodations to the hardness of men's hearts according to their sin. But even in the Old Testament, there's indications that God would one day do something to reaffirm women's position beside not crouching in fear behind uh, men. And in Christ, those days came. 
when Christ came, that's what happened. Um, and um, there's this dramatic transformation that takes place. And, and one of the most dramatic is the attitude of men towards women, and that, that men um, now need and have to begin grasping the idea of, of women operating in the church with full personhood and, and what that looks like. And so these are all the struggles that are taking place back in this time. But, but see, New Testament scripture makes it very clear. Uh, Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one, in Christ Jesus. Um, the old ways of valuing and classifying people are no longer valid. In Christ, we're members of one body. Acts 2.17 says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prosify. With the spirit coming at Pentecost, um, spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit is now given to men and women, and the gifts are freely distributed um, by the spirit, and it makes no difference about your gender. Uh, and, and that these gifts are given for the building up of the body, and even the most important gifts that Paul lists are given to both men and women. Uh, in uh, Romans 16.1, Paul says this, uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at uh, Centuria, which is a, a little seaport outside of Corinth, not far from there. Uh, she had been a great to help to many people, including me. Um, that's Romans 16.1. So Paul not only values women, but he recognizes them as eligible to hold office in the church. She was a servant in the church. Um, in the same context, in, in Romans 16.3, he calls Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ. So there's Priscilla. So you need to have all that in context when you read through a chapter like 1 Corinthians 11. Because what Paul is saying here isn't designed... As some people have tried to make it like putting women in their place. It's not it at all. What he's trying to do is, is bring to women who have found tremendous uh, freedom now in Christ and a, and a whole transformation of how they perceive themselves and how they're perceived, a whole new look at their value and worth and, and, and what that looks like and them trying to figure out what that looks like in the process um, and, and so he's, he's having to deal with the implications of this whole thing happening there in the church. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians 11, there's two main subjects. Um, one of them, both of them have to do with public worship. One of them has to do with Christian women in Corinth who want to attend public worship services with uncovered heads uh, to symbolize their quality with men. Uh, and, and apparently some of them were trying to push this point by noisily challenging those who taught. And the second subject is about communion. Um, and so let's just talk about communion because that's way easier than the other subject. No, decent. Because <laughs> I just want to cop out and not deal with any of it. I'm teasing. <laughs> First Corinthians 11. Let's read all 34 verses. And if you didn't know what was about to come, now you're going to see what that extensive preamble was about. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. It's kind of an ending to the last chapter. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Like Paul, he's really good about telling people their good stuff before he starts dealing with other stuff. You got most of it. Okay, now let's deal with some issues. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. 
If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is a man independent of woman. For a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Now he's changing subjects. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. (laughs) Sorry, it's just funny. (laughs) Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So, um, let's hop right in and talk about this first issue. Um, and it's about um, the, the women and their head covered and the, and the wearing a head covering and the veil and all that means. First off, we have to put it into a cultural context. Remember, this is written to a time and a place and to a specific church. Of what's happening. So, like everything else, you can't take this stuff out of context. You have to hold it in that context. And what's really at issue is this whole new equality and the Christian women in Corinth wanting to get rid of the veil uh, in public worship, to be uncovered in public worship. The reasoning behind that, and I'll talk about it again, is that they feel like since men are able to worship with their heads uncovered and they're equal, so should they. That's, that's the premise of what they're dealing with. But see, you have to understand the meaning, the cultural meaning of the head covering at the time. And um, I got this out of a commentary, Corinthians 1, uh, International Critical Commentary. It's something that Sir William Anderson wrote about head coverings at that time. So in Oriental lands, it says, The veil 
is the power and the honor and the dignity of the woman. With the veil on her head, she can go anywhere in security and profound respect. She is not seen. It is a mark of thoroughly bad manners to observe a veiled woman on the streets. She is alone. The rest of the people around her are non-existent to her, and she is to them. She is supreme in the crowd. But without the veil, the woman is a thing of naught, whom any man may insult. A woman's authority and dignity vanish along with the all-covering veil... That she discards. So at the time, culturally, in Corinth, in that culture, a woman's veil was a symbol of her worth and dignity. Okay? That's what it meant. That's what it was all about. Um, and, and that's why it was important. And what Paul has to bring into is why would Christian women want to remove their cultural symbol of dignity? And like I said, because their thinking was that their status as full participants in the body of Christ, they should worship unveiled just like men because they're now equal. And Paul's response that they should keep their head coverings isn't a put down. It's not saying that women don't have value, uh, worth and dignity as women. And, and in fact, it's the opposite. He's saying, look, it's a picture of your worth and value and dignity as women. And he begins to make this process about men and women. Equality doesn't mean sameness. See, and we still struggle with those things today. Men and women are quite different. Has anybody noticed? It doesn't mean we're less than because we're different. It means that's how God made you. He made you a man or a woman. And that's good. And in his creation, men and women, fully equal, bearing the image of God, all he wants from you is to be the best man you can be if you're a man or to be the best woman you can be. And to embrace all that that means. Not to fight against it. And it's not... Sin has messed that up with the, with the belief somehow that one gender is superior to the other. But that's not a biblical concept at all, nor is it meant to be. In, in life, because God is sovereign, he gives us all roles. He gives us all things to do. And in response, we're just supposed to do those things the best that we can. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not a put down. It's not a less than. It doesn't, there's, no, there's no less than in the genders. There's not. It's just different things that we do. And, and unfortunately, there's so many struggles in this, in this picture of equality that it means sameness, and it doesn't. It just means that we're equal. And, and, and so you, you kind of have to begin to look at the picture differently. There's no less than between men and women. It's just different things to do that God's created us to do. There's really no less than, you know, among all people. It's just we're different. We have different things to do. We have different roles to fill. There's different ideas that we have. And so, um, there's no disgrace, Paul is saying, with the veils in recognizing the differences. Um, and, and, and so, men and women are different, but they're both full participators in the kingdom of God. And, and the idea is that their, their differences are supposed to make them interdependent, not to make one gender less than uh, the other. That's how it's supposed to work. We need each other. You know, Paul was saying, sure, the theological point was man was made first in creation and then the woman was made as a suitable helper for Abraham. But then they were given full dominion and personhood together as image bearers of God. Um, and then, you know, I love the way he ties it in later because he, he's, he's making the idea of headship to, you know, it talks about this, this is the head of this and this is it. We, we have a bad concept of headship, what it means to be the head of someone. We think it means to sort of be, you know, in power over them. And it's not. The, the Lord is the head of us, 
But he does that to lift us up. And there's, man is the head of the woman, not to be in control over her or be dominant over her, but to lift her up and to cover her. Um, see, that's the, where we start to mess this stuff up and where sin got in and twisted it. And, and you know, the falling, the, the thing that happened over time throughout culture has been that, that women were uh, in a role that where they were less than men. And it's not true. They just had different roles in the process. And so, so that's what Paul's trying to deal with. In, in that whole process. All right. Culturally, some places still have women wear head coverings. I don't if people if women feel like they want to wear a head covering, fine with me. It doesn't have the same cultural meaning anymore. Because you know, if we were going to do that one, all the women would have to have long hair covered and all the men would have to have short hair. And we have some issues already. Right. So a lot of you got to go. <laughs> and. <laughs> And the, the ones that are left, I don't want to hang out with. So, so we have a different cultural viewpoint of things now. The, but the reality is, and the struggles are, still the same and still go on. It's not a difference. See, we, we can't strive um, in believing that equality is attaining this, you know, this position or that position. What we need to do is we need to just move into being and fulfilling the role that God has given us, each one of us, because they're all important. And that's what it's all about. It's not trying to be something that we're not. It doesn't need to be. Women, be the best women you can be. Embrace what it means to be a woman. Men, be the best men. Embrace what it means to be a man. And, and move in those directives towards the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay. So I'm hopefully resolved that issue forever and ever with all of you. And there's no questions. Thank you. Moving along. Now, communion comes up next, and it's called the Lord's Supper in the process. And what you need to know, by this time in the church, the communion meal was kind of done in two stages. And, and the first part was a meal, very much like you had today, and it was called the agape meal or a love feast. And the second part of communion is what's called then and now the Eucharist, which had actually to do with the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup, remembering remembering. What Jesus did at the cross and the engagement, the proposal, the whole thing that we went through and everything, it was a time of remembering. What's happened in the church of Corinth is that this, this communion, which is supposed to remember the most selfless act in history of Jesus going to the cross and dying for everybody's sin, had become one of the most selfish events that the church put on. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. They just wanted to eat. It wasn't a love feast. It was just a big eat, drink kind of fast, and Paul's saying, look, I'm really ashamed of you guys. If you're that hungry, eat at home. And, and you should be caring about making sure everybody, because there's people there that aren't getting something to eat, make sure they get something to eat. Because it's a love feast is that you're partaking of. And so he says, look, it's a love feast. Get the, if you don't have this part down, then when you, when you take the rest part and you move into the Eucharist, it, you've got issues because you're, you're not loving well. You're, not, you're, 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 you're missing the whole deal. He said, settle down. Embrace a love feast. Enjoy it. Don't make it about the food. Make it about the fellowship. And then enjoy the food as a follow-up. And that sets your heart and your mind right for embracing and for taking in and for remembering when you take the elements of communion. So, so that's what it's supposed to be like. And even here, we do a lot of food because I believe... People say, well, I do all the food. I like to eat, yes. But... Uh, but the reason we do the food is it's very much new churchy stuff. 
early church people, they got together and they ate. And as part of the meal, they would remember who the Lord was. But in the eating, the fellowshipping, there was this love that happened. It wasn't about the eating. It was about the fellowship. It was about a chance to get together and love one another. Still what it means to me. When we do the stuff that we do, to your credit, I like to eat too. But it's more about having people sit down and take a few moments to love each other, to hang out, to talk, to connect with other believers. That's the meaning behind it. That's why we do it. Um, plus that, you know, over time I found out that if you come in and feed people, they'll listen to you longer. Um, <laughs> but that's a byproduct of the rest of it. So he's saying to them, look, guys, you've got to straighten this out because this is a pretty big deal. Love each other well and, and then take it all into account as you, as you remember what Jesus has done. And, and the ultimate act of selflessness is to be our model in the process. And they were missing the mark, again, with the Corinthians. A lot of the issues were they, they, they kind of had checked out because God had so richly blessed them um, spiritually that they just figured they had it all figured out. And they were, they were totally off in a lot of areas. So that's what Paul is correcting throughout that chapter. And that's enough of that um, for the day. If you're watching by video or television, thank you so much. If there's anything we can do, call us, write us, email us. We'll be happy to do whatever we can in response to those things. And uh, God bless you all. And we're going to close here tonight with prayer for the group. You can shut the video off if you have prayer.